April showers bring Mayflowers, but what do Mayflowers bring? A special offer from the DSR Network. For the month of May, become a member and receive 20% off a monthly or annual membership. Members receive an ad-free listening experience, exclusive bonus content, our evening members-only newsletter, and an invitation to continue the conversation via our members-only Slack community. This offer won't last, so act now. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code MAYFLOWERS, one word, to receive your discount. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code MAYFLOWERS. Thank you for your support. This is Words Matter with Norm Ornstein. We've got the votes and screw the rest of you. And Dr. Kavita Patel. These might be some of the smaller moments, you know, with all the bombshells. Didn't catch people's eyes. Hello and welcome to Words Matter from the DSR Network. Each week, Norm Ornstein and I will talk about the issues facing our country as we head into another election cycle. And Norm, today is, I, I feel like uh, we're still we're still in the um, debt ceiling, uh, but it, it's reached a, what seems like a different inflection point. So I think some topics that'd be great to kind of go into a little bit of what's happening on some of the debt ceiling conversations and then... Uh, we can get to it or we might do it in our members only section. So this is a teaser for folks to join our members section for benefits across the DSR network. Uh, I think we're going to talk about the Tallahassee um, uh, election and how the AG and the Trump endorsed AG, some of the dynamics that are actually happening on the ground, which I believe you have some insight. Norm, what is your assessment of how the week has gone by so far and, and where we are with the debt ceiling? And then I have a technical question to ask you about the debt ceiling that would be good for only somebody as smart as you to answer. Go ahead. We'll see. Um, you know, I don't think anything much good is happening, Kavita. Um, it's fairly clear that there are negotiations going on between McCarthy's people and President Biden's people, um, which we had to expect in some ways, despite uh, Biden saying that um, he wasn't going to negotiate, he wanted a clean debt ceiling. And despite McCarthy saying that the bill that passed the House was the floor, not the ceiling. Um, but it doesn't seem to me they're making a great deal of progress on this. And the uh, House Republicans held a press conference saying that they and the Senate Republicans were united that there would be no clean debt ceiling. At the same time, the House Democrats have moved forward to set in motion their very long shot bid to have a uh, discharge petition, which is a rarity in the House. Now, this is something that was actually created after a, an overbearing speaker was overthrown in 1910. And it provided for an opportunity if a majority of the members of the House sign a petition to bring a bill out and get a vote on the floor, even if the leaders or the committee chairs don't want it. But it's a very complicated and laborious process. And the House Democrats have done what they could to make it expedited. But, you know, the, the basic problem is you need five Republicans or at least 
four if you kept all the Democrats. And there isn't a single Republican uh, that is going to do this until we've already had a catastrophe. So, I mean, the only other thing to say on this is uh, one of the elements here has nothing to do with deficits um, or spending. And that is a Republican demand for onerous work requirements for food stamp recipients. This has come up over and over again. It is entirely a punitive thing that actually uh, is a terrible idea. The House progressives are extremely upset because when President Biden was riding his bike in Rehoboth over the weekend and was asked about this, he left the door open to um, work requirements. Yeah, that's well, I think that's where there's been such a so let me ask you this technical question, because there's we're about two weeks from whatever you want to call the date that, uh, you know, all hellfire breaks loose. Um, I actually had been wondering this. So be all the reasons you outlined, it's hard to imagine that they're going to get to a deal in two weeks. Again, you and I talked on our last pod about how the much likely, you know, kind of outcome of this is like much more likely outcome is a kicking the can down the curb, extending it a couple of months, et cetera. But under the Anti-Deficiency Act, can the administration stop paying other bills and pay interest on the debt? debt? So, so you know, will they shut the government first? Um, could they do that? So I'm just curious, like, is there administrative tactics here, Norm, that also enter into this? Is that possible? It is possible uh, in a lot of ways. The if you ended up with a breach in the debt ceiling, and the president decided that he was going to stick with the requirements, um, he would have some limited discretion on what to do. Um, you know, uh, the interest is one part of it, which means basically you're paying the bondholders which means that before you get to the social security recipients, you're giving money to China, Saudi Arabia, and other uh, such countries, which is not exactly a great formula. Now, on the other hand, uh, the, the fundamental reality is that we have a whole series of laws that require, uh, if the laws are being faithfully executed, that the president spend money and implement programs. And uh, that means you've got hundreds of laws on one side of the ledger and one that has a debt ceiling on the other. So one of the things that the president can do is to basically say, I have a conflict here and I'm going to go with the laws that mandate that I spend the money, Um, which means he's ignoring the debt ceiling law. Or, of course, got these other fixes, which include the uh, vaunted $3 trillion titanium coin, which is just a, you know, basically saying, we print money, that's what a government does, and in fact, we're printing more money, and that means we don't have uh, any problem both paying our debts and paying our bills. Uh, you know, the only question with all of this, Kavita, uh, assuming that there is no deal uh, or even that they, you know, decide that they could possibly come up with one after that and they'll uh, let it go for a couple of months, is the question of how the markets, 
the ratings agencies, the people who hold uh, U.S. treasuries react if the president does what the 14th Amendment requires, what all of these other laws require, and says, never mind a debt ceiling, I'm going to pay our bills. Um, will they react badly? And, you know, here we go back to what happened in 2011 when we came close but cut a deal and we still got our bond rating uh, went down for the first time in history from a triple A to a double A plus, which meant interest rates went up, which had, you know, profound implications for all kinds of people and, you know, cost taxpayers directly $19 billion. Uh, so, uh, you know, there's no nothing good that we can say about this, except maybe there's a way we avoid utter catastrophe and only have partial catastrophe. Okay, so then let's talk about some of the people. Maybe that's a, if, if it's a catastrophe we're marching towards, let's talk about who um, McCarthy and Biden are taking on their kind of side of marching forward to it. So uh, as you as you've probably all been all too aware, you know, you've got uh, you've got McCarthy with his team, obviously McCarthy and McConnell, and uh, there have been. I think that it's already been out in the press, kind of who Biden's got on his team. We knew I knew Steve Rochetti would be part of that. Um, Shalanda Young, who runs the uh, Office of Management and Budget, and Lisa Terrell, who's been with the president for now upwards of twenty years. I feel like in that tri trio, though, it's 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 Rochetti kind of calling the shots there. That that seems pretty clear. And then to your point about kind of who's doing what. Um, you know, who's doing what on, on which side for the Republicans. I think this is where it gets interesting because to your point, you know, McCarthy also has to sell this package to, to his own party. And it's not incredibly clear how that's going to happen. So who does McCarthy have with him on his side negotiating some of this? And, and I think that does matter. And, and what have we heard from them, Norm? But, you know, he's got longtime staffers, uh, including some who know something about programs and, uh, and budgets. Um, but in the end, it's McCarthy uh, who's going to have to decide. And one of the disappointing things here, Kavita, is that knowing how catastrophic this would be, Mitch McConnell has basically said, I'm abiding by whatever Kevin wants so the Senate is not a player in these negotiations. It's McCarthy's staff people, um, maybe a couple of his colleagues in the leadership, but it's mostly the staff. And frankly, that's because his colleagues in the leadership don't know anything about these programs. Um, they couldn't negotiate uh, particularly well. Uh, and they're talking about Garrett Graves from Louisiana. Do you know him? It's it sounds like I mean obviously he's like one of McCarthy's you know two friends. But any dynamic there, or does it like you said? They're this is really coming out to Kevin Kevin McCarthy. This is all on McCarthy. Nobody nobody else is really working the back room to try to kind of figure out how to communicate to the Freedom Caucus or doing any of that exactly. to, your, to the best of your knowledge. Exactly so. And Garrett Graves, uh, you know, met with the press uh, yesterday. Uh, didn't have a whole lot to say, certainly not anything that would suggest that they're getting close to a deal or even closer to a deal. I have to say, Kavita, and this has been a uh, ongoing frustration, uh, and that is 
the press corps continues to treat this as a normal negotiation. And this is, and they take what McCarthy says at face value. Uh, you know, I actually, she took some issue with this, but I, I mentioned in a tweet that Ali Vitali, who's a good reporter uh, for NBC, had basically done a piece where she just took what McCarthy said, which was, you know, I don't think that Biden wants a deal. Uh, I'm trying to make it work and he's not. And that's just a bunch of nonsense. And of course, you know, the way this has been framed is a, a series of House non-negotiable demands, a bill that passed by one vote because very clearly Kevin McCarthy cut a deal with George Santos that they wouldn't kick him out of Congress or uh, do anything despite 13 felony uh, counts and an indictment against him. And it's one that includes draconian budget cuts, including on veterans. And despite McCarthy saying and the press corps repeating it, that it's a lie that they're going to cut veterans benefits. There's no way for them out of this, given that they've taken Social Security and Medicare off the table. And then, as we just said, they've added in these this wish list, including these work requirements that have nothing to do with it. And what we also know is that the uh, that among the items that uh, Biden's put on the table to create a deal is to get some revenue raised from the super rich. And the reaction of McCarthy, which tells you what kind of negotiation this is, is there will be no revenues, period, in this package. So we're not talking about a balanced package or even about a package. And I maybe somehow Biden decides to make enough concessions. We know what both sides are willing to do. They're both willing to take the uh, money for COVID uh, that's still available and frankly ought to be kept available because as you know better than anybody, COVID hasn't gone away and we may have another pandemic and it's better to have that money ready to use. But they'll you know, give that money back to the treasury, the unspent funds that were there to deal with the pandemic. And you know, it's a it's apparent that uh, the president has at least raised the idea of some cap on discretionary domestic spending, but for no more than a couple of years, which itself is an unfortunate concession if they've made it. Um, and now maybe he's talking about work requirements. I frankly have my doubts as to whether McCarthy um, can sell the Freedom Caucus on that. But the other development here that's interesting, or at least uh, what's been reported, is that you have some of the uh, problem-solving caucus Democrats telling McCarthy, hey, if you cut a deal on this and the Freedom Caucus, the 15 people or whatever who wouldn't support you that required you to get 15 ballots to become speaker, say they're going to vote against you, We'll provide the votes so you can stay as speaker. Now, that's, you know, presumably an encouragement to say, find a way to cut a deal. I still have my doubts as to whether Kevin McCarthy has the fortitude to do even that. No, he does not. I can I can make that a much, I, I feel much more comfortable making that broad proclamation. Go back to, so just, just, to, just to put a kind of point under it, 
Um, because it's not just one reporter, it's multiple reporters. And it's, I mean, I can even read some of the, you know, headlines, you know, speaker gets his chance to go toe to toe with the president, right? Like this is, this is being set up, right? Uh, The Oval Office kind of photo spray showing Biden and Harris and McCarthy and McConnell. I love how McConnell's kind of off cut off, like, to your point, like, nobody really cares about what's happening, because McConnell has said, like, whatever that guy does, I'll say fine. So it's really setting this up to what I think is looking. um, And and let me just read, this is the Times, right? So this is every, like, news outlet. Um, Speaker McCarthy, this is the the, uh, caption for the front page headlines. Speaker McCarthy sitting in the Oval Office with President Biden, Vice President Kamala Harris. Um, Mr. McCarthy believes he has been treated dismissively by the White House and congressional Democrats, period. Like, so, so I, I mean, it's just, it's, let, let's, let's go ahead and like, instead of just, uh, we like to say that we're, the words matter, what should the headlines read? And, and what, you are very good at crafting, like, kind of these pithier, like, one-liners and statements. Put yourself in the editorial room. Put yourself on the mic. What, what is it that we should be saying? And here's our chance. <laughs> I, I, you know, the, the what we should be saying is Republican demands bringing us close to default. Let's put it that way. Or Republicans refuse to uh, include any revenues in attempt to reach deal. Um, I mean, there are a lot of ways to do this. Uh, but not the way that it's being done. Uh, the, The core message here, the entire frame here, has to be that the Republicans are operating in a fashion that is unusual, not quite unprecedented because they've done it before, but one that is very different from the dozens, if not hundreds, of previous uh, moves over a century to raise the debt ceiling. Uh, and, you know, this is not business as usual. This is not the way it's done. I have to say, the New York Times published an op-ed by a former judge, uh, Republican conservative judge, Michael McConnell, that basically was filled with inaccuracies and falsehoods. Um, you know, basically saying, hey, this is the way it always goes and not to worry. And that's just not a good way to frame this. No, it's not a good way to frame it. And I think, uh, and and you're right. And and the other kind of um, captions, you know, should also read like, you know, they want spending cuts, you know, in all of these areas, not defense, not it's it's the same story as old as time. You know, it's a crazy. Um, yeah. And I, yeah, you're exactly right. And, you know, one of the things that reporters ought to be doing is pointing out the consequences if the Republican demands were met. And that includes if you're doing a basically what amounts to cutting critical programs by 20 percent or more, 22 percent effectively in the next couple of years, closer to 50 percent over their larger, longer time frame, then you have to start with what those cuts would mean if they were done, and they've left it vague across the board, and that starts with what you're doing to veterans affairs. You know, I saw, interestingly, this morning, there was pushback from a, the Republican uh, who who beat Elaine Luria in uh, Virginia, um, who is a Navy veteran, 
Uh, and, you know, the pushback was there's no way that she would ever do anything to hurt veterans. But the budget that they put forward does. So talk about that. And then if they continue to say we won't do anything to veterans, do stories showing what that would mean then for air traffic control, food safety, uh, all the safety net protections, education, every program. And, and of course, the number of people taken off health insurance and forced into uh, other uh, disastrous uh, uh, spots. It would be a complete disruption of the American economy and of our way of life. And I don't see those stories. This is all about, you know, who who's negotiating, what's who's making what concessions as if it's a normal thing and it's not. It's a good. Uh, so. All right. So we're, we're going to try to um, keep <laughs> it's 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 not possible to wrap up this story because we know that this is the story that's going to keep on giving. And, and I, I am going to be interested in understanding how the administration won what they'll concede on. You're right. I think that the uh, kind of, I'll call it the clawbacks of co- unused COVID funds, to your point, I hate that they say that because people say surplus or unused. Well, they're there for a reason, to your point of, hey, maybe we aren't over in this pandemic and we should have some funds to use. However, that seems like a just there's that's that train is out, out the station. That's done, but that only gets you so many billions of dollars. And so I think you're right. It's the work requirements, and and I am a little troubled. I won't lie, I, Norm. I'm not ecstatic that you're already hearing Biden kind of say things like, you know, I'm I'm reasonable. I'll listen to what we need to do to make a deal. And I that does always signal to me in kind of political speak, like, look, he doesn't want to see the collapse of the, like the economy, but they're playing this game of chicken and, you know, I'm not sure who's going to cross the line. So we'll, we'll revisit that and, and hopefully give our listeners in some other, any other headlines that you want to kind of like get underscore before we do, I know we'll do Tallahassee. Maybe we'll do, do you want to talk about Kentucky of interest norm? Would that be worth talking about? Um, The DeSantis Trump, Kentucky uh, gubernatorial showdown? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it, one of the things that's happening all across the country is that Ron DeSantis is uh, striking out almost everywhere. And, uh, you know, that's he's uh, getting close to his announcement um, that he's running for president. But I think what we're beginning to see, and we'll talk about this in a minute in our members only section as well, is that uh, the more there is a spotlight on Ron DeSantis, the worse he does, because it's a spotlight that shows that he is basically a humorless, uh, monstrous uh, authoritarian. He is... uh, as uh, one of my friends said, uh, Victor Orban without the charm. And, and then the response from another was, no, oh, he's Ted Cruz without the charm. I I see. I think that's more, I, I actually feel more in the lab. Yeah. yeah I gotta be honest. Uh, yeah. But uh, you know, it's, it's entirely possible as well that all of this is uh, taking the bloom off his Florida rose. That Floridians. It's. Uh, I don't mind taking no. that bloom off. Well, it's, uh, although although it, it depends on what the bloom is replaced with, what weed is cropping up in its place is uh, maybe. My oh, one other thing before we go off this, Kavita, which I find interesting, is that a group of mothers is bringing a lawsuit against the book banning in Florida, 
And, you know, my response to that is uh, because we have a Supreme Court case uh, that uh, was uh, uh, the opinion written by William Brennan several decades ago, a full-throated defense of the freedom of speech against book bans. Uh, that's now um, uh, the settled uh, law, um, although th- what this Supreme Court would do with it is anybody's guess and probably nothing good. But, you know, why aren't we getting a federal judge issuing a nationwide injunction against book banning? Um, you know, why are they the only ones who get federal judges issuing nationwide injunctions? Let it go to the Supreme Court. But in the meantime, you can bring this horrific practice to a screeching halt. Take Moms for Liberty, which is basically a group of fascists for liberty, uh, uh, for their own form of liberty, um, off the table for now. I love it. I, I'm, 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 I'm a big fan. Maybe, so what's our equivalent? What's the, what's the court that we need to, what's the federal court we need to go to, like in Delaware or in uh, Connecticut or New Hampshire, or Vermont? Can I, can I go in there to the first district someplace and find like a, can I find a judge there that'll do this. That's, that's true. Maybe, maybe we need to take a, uh, if, if we go on a sabbatical, that's what we can do in, in our, in our time. Well, well, I want to thank our listeners and thanks to everyone. If you enjoyed this podcast, share it with your friends. All the major platforms uh, have Words Matter to download and listen in your own convenience. And we'll, as you heard from Norm, uh, we are going to have even more conversation in our members only section. I want to thank uh, our incredible executive producer, Chris Cottonmore, and Words Matter is a DSR network production. And our next podcast will be in your feeds around May 23rd or 24th. See you soon.